This is Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger, powered by Pastano by Sprinkler. On today's show, Brian sits down in studio with decorated swimmer and Olympic medalist, Kara Lynn Joyce. The Olympics were the pinnacle of your sport. Every athlete had tears in their eyes. So I'm walking in, I remember hearing, Kara! Kara! I'm like, no way. And I turned, fifth row up, my whole family going nuts and just, you know, waterworks down my face. Couldn't keep it in. Now, with Sports Business Radio, here's Brian Berger. Thanks for checking out the only show dedicated to covering the business side of sports. We're happy to be powered by our friends at Pistano by Sprinkler. Follow them online at Pistano.com or on Twitter at Pistano. We've got a great show lined up for you this week. Last week, we had an elite athlete, an icon on the show, Chris Everett. This week, we have a four-time Olympic medalist, three-time Olympian, Kara Lynn Joyce is going to join me. And, you know, for a long time, I've thought, are the Olympics outdated? Is the model broken? Look at the venues that turn into ghost towns after the Olympics take place. Billions of dollars spent on the Olympics, which were developed hundreds of years ago when there weren't international sports, when there wasn't international competition But now we have international competition all the time. So a real interesting debate and conversation with Kara Lynn Joyce coming up on our show this week. I'm joined in studio by our executive producer, Brian Griggs. Griggs, how are you? I'm doing good. And you're mentioning Olympics. It's one of my favorite times. I love the Summer Olympics. I like all the Olympics, but summer's fun. Um, Got it on the studio right now. It's it's great. And NBC does a great job, and they make Rio look amazing. (laughs) Well, and NBC's the big winner here, right? I mean, they pay a huge rights fee to broadcast the Olympics. They activate it not only on NBC, but on their family of TV networks. We see them doing uh, real interesting things online. They're doing some stuff with Facebook. I, I love, you know, the the Johnny Weir and, and Tara Lipinski are live on Facebook. Like, they're activating on a number of different platforms, not just on TV. It used to be, well, you just turn it on and you got to watch NBC and that's the only place you see it. So they're the big winner in this. My gripe, and what we'll talk about with Carolyn Joyce this week, is if you host the Olympics, you can't convince me it's a good return on your investment. <laughs> no. You can't convince me if I'm a taxpayer in that country, it's a good return on your investment. And, as I said a few seconds ago, the Olympics were created when there wasn't international competition. We didn't have, you know, numerous... Uh, players from other countries playing in the NBA, in Major League Baseball in golf, in tennis. Uh, I get the sports like swimming and gymnastics and fencing and, and things like that. I understand that there's you know not a lot of spotlight on them. And I'm not trying to say do away with the Olympics completely. I think it is a terrible, terrible return on investment. And I think the model is broken, and that's what we'll discuss on the show today. Yeah, I agree with you, too. And um, I, I was listening this morning to some a news report about uh, the 2024 games. Los Angeles is in the running with Paris. And I'm thinking, you know, okay, is that a good thing for LA? LA is more set up for it than a Rio or one of these, you know, more foreign countries. But still, I think even an LA could lose on that. Carolyn Joyce has a real interesting idea for the venues and for hosting the Olympics. So I invite you to, to listen to our conversation coming up in our next segment. I think she could be on to something. Some headlines this week, Griggs. Alex Rodriguez, maybe the most polarizing player outside of Barry Bonds or Roger Clemens in Major League Baseball history, especially in the last 20 years. Here's a guy who has Hall of Fame stats, but the Yankees essentially 
buy him out. They're going to pay him his full contract, $27 million just to go away. Will he resurface with another team? We don't know. But we do know that this Friday will be his last game. And if you mention the name Alex Rodriguez, here are some things that you have to know because this is a sports business show. Alex Rodriguez, after he's paid out this money from the Yankees, will have earned $452 million in salary on the field during his playing career. Griggs, that's more than any athlete in the history of U.S. team sports. The next closest athlete in a team sport is Kevin Garnett, NBA, $336 million over the course of his career. So A-Rod, with those enormous contracts with the Rangers, the one that everyone... When, what is Tom Hicks doing? Has he lost his mind? <laughs> Ten years, $252 million when there was no one within $100 million of that bid. Then the Yankees gave him a big contract and had grand plans for him becoming the all-time home run leader. Ironically, A-Rod is four home runs short as of this taping from 700, which is you know a magical milestone. But here's the thing. like That's great for him. A-Rod's not getting into the Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. And we've seen it with Bonds. We've seen it with Clemens. No matter how good you were, if there was links to performance-enhancing drugs, the writers aren't letting you in. Fair or unfair, he's not getting in. So he can have all the lofty stats he wants. You know, there's certainly the, how was A-Rod in the clubhouse? Was he a narcissist? I think he's been a much better guy from everyone I've talked to in the last year since he came back from his suspension. But regardless, the Yankees want to turn the page to Shara retiring at the end of the year. A-Rod, they're telling him to go away, and they're paying him a lot of money to do so. CC Sabathia, you would have to think he's going to go away at some point soon. The Yankees are in full rebuild. Yeah, they are. It's a, it's a whole new look for the Yankees next year. And we've talked about in past shows, uh, Derek Jeter doing it the right way. Right. Where everybody loves him. And obviously he's going to have a, you know, a long, uh, long storied history of Hall of Fame and m- m- moving forward with him. But yeah, I think, uh, with A-Rod, it's, uh, it's a whole different story and you get that, that tainted image and, um, it can change your whole career, and that's crazy. That stat about the money, though, I didn't realize he had made that much, or <laughs> just uh, in just salary. Well, and it was an interesting uh, compare and contrast this week, Greg. So you have Ichiro, who gets hit number three thousand in Major League Baseball. He's got many more than that if you combine the Japanese hits. Right. But in Major League Baseball, he crosses the three thousand threshold. Most people say first ballot Hall of Famer, one of the greatest hitters ever. Mm-hmm. Derek Jeter wrote a great piece for the Players Tribune saying this is a once in a generation player in Ichiro. Yep. You don't hear that about A-Rod. No. A-Rod's got better stats. Everyone has pretty much agreed on the fact that he's not getting into the Hall of Fame. So it's been an interesting week because these guys were once teammates, Ichiro and A-Rod. And, you know, they've had very different career endings. Because like you said, with the stats that that A-Rod has had, you would think there would have been the type of send-off that Jeter received. But instead, there's no pomp and circumstance. It's basically, hey, we're giving you a week's notice that we're cutting you. <laughs> yeah. We're going to pay you your full $27 million, which is really, I'm sure, what A-Rod wanted the most. Yeah. And, and that may be the end of A-Rod. I'm not sure that there's another team unless they think, well, you know, we can sign him to be a guy on the bench or, you know, a vet in the clubhouse or something <laughs> like that. I'm not sure that there's anyone else that's going to touch him because, as we said at the beginning of this, he's such a polarizing figure. Would you sign him and add him on your bench? Yeah, no, I don't think so. And, and with, with that signage, if some other team takes him, you got all the baggage with it. You know, you're going to have all the the media following him. Which, I mean, I guess some t- some guys might think, okay, hey, it'll help our team get a, a push to you know more on TV, more f- coverage. But at the same time, 
a lot of baggage, and is he really going to go out there and hit, you know, and play really well for you? Probably not as good as he had five years ago. Now, I will say this. If I'm him, I'm really burning to get to 700. Like, I'm four home runs away. Yes, I'm not going into the Hall of Fame, but for my own personal, you know, Mount Rushmore of stats, I need 700. So, he's so close it's doubtful he's going to get it this week before the Yankees uh, say goodbye to him on the field. So that would be one thing that would, you know, potentially cause me to look around. Could he go to the Miami Marlins? He lives in Miami and say, hey, you know, I'll be a guy on the bench and I'll play with Ichiro. And Don Mattingly's a, a veteran manager. You know, maybe you go there, you get some ABs and, and you get to that 700 number. But uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens to A-Rod both in the next week and in retirement. Look, he did a great job for Fox TV in the playoffs last year. I think he's a slam dunk as an analyst for one of the TV networks. He's well-spoken. He's good-looking. Like He's not going to hurt for money either because we just told you he's made more money, $452 million, than any athlete in the history of team sports. All right, coming up next, Kara Lynn Joyce, three-time Olympian, Four-time Olympic medalist, terrific swimmer, the subject along with Missy Franklin of the incredible documentary Touch the Wall. If you haven't seen it, I implore you to check that out on iTunes. Carolyn Joyce is coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Stay in the know at sportsbusinessradio.com. Podcasts, blogs, and more. Powered by Sprinkler. SBR will be right back. Hi, it's Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. Did you know that Super Bowl 50 broke the record for single-day Wi-Fi usage and beat last year's record before halftime? And then nearly 80% of fans use their mobile phones during live sports events? Today's sports fans expect strong, fast mobile connections at their favorite stadiums. And that is why major venues around the country work with Boingo Wireless to manage their wireless networks. Boingo knows fans, and they know how to make a venue's vision for the connected fan experience a reality. Boingo designs, installs, manages, and monetizes wireless networks at university stadiums like K-State and the University of Houston and major league venues like Chicago Soldier Field and Phillips Arena, home of the NBA's Atlanta Hawks. Boingo is the only company that can provide end-to-end wireless services so teams can focus on the big game, not on their network. Sports Business Radio has teamed up with Boingo to bring you monthly stadium stories focused on how technology is changing the business of sports. I will speak with Boingo and their partners, including athletic directors, venue owners, leading sports marketers, and industry influencers who will share valuable insights you'll want to tune in for. For more information on Boingo Wireless, visit boingo.com or email sports at boingo.com. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. My guest is Carolyn Joyce. She is an Olympic silver medalist. She's a decorated swimmer. Uh, we've had her on Sports Business Radio before, and we have the honor of having her in studio here with us. She's making an appearance in Portland, and the Olympics are underway. So I just ran into Kara at our event, the Sports PR Summit Social Media Workshop at Twitter in San Francisco, and Wanted to bring her back on to talk all things Olympics. Kara, how are you? I'm great, Brian. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for uh, making the time to join us this week. And, you know, a timely conversation. Let's start with what Olympians are doing right now as the Olympics are underway. You know, we know they're living the, in the Olympic Village, but you've done this several times. What's the mindset and the uh, preparation for the Olympians? 
Right now, I would say, you know, since the Olympics are underway, it's just you're in like Olympic mode and everyone, you know, has breakfast together. They head to the pool together. If it's not your race day, then, you know, you're in the stands, you're cheering for Team USA. You got your USA bandana on (laughs) and um, it's it's really, you know, just kind of like Groundhog's Day for about eight days. And you want to try to be, you know, the best teammate, but also make sure you're preparing your body. You know, you can't really be jumping up and down on your feet for six days if you race on day seven. Right. So it's kind of that balance. But, you know, going to bed, you know, 10 o'clock curfew, just trying to trying to be as healthy and, and <laughs> the, the best athlete you can be. So a few things. The Olympic Village, what is that like? I mean, you know, we know that, like, the USA men's basketball team is living on a ship <laughs> yeah. in the ocean. <laughs> you know, they've got the, the, the plush accommodations. If you're not one of those athletes and you're living in the Olympic Village and you're amongst all the thousands of athletes from around the world. What's that experience like? You know, I I like the idea of everyone staying in the village. And there's all those, you know, ideas of what the village is really like. But but honestly, during competition, I thought it was fascinating that I could go to the dining hall, you know, and there's one dining hall for all 15,000 wow. participants. It's wow. like the, the biggest food hall you've ever seen. But you can go there, you get you know, whatever your breakfast, they have literally every option you can possibly imagine. They'll have a line for, you know, American cuisine, South American cuisine, uh, you know, Italian, like anything you can imagine. So you go, you get your breakfast with your tray, you sit down and you look across and you're like, oh, I'm I'm racing against that girl from, you know, Ireland later today. And wow. she's eating the exact same thing that I'm eating. And she slept on the exact same crappy mattress that I slept <laughs> on last night. And, you know, we didn't have air conditioning. And it's just I think it's fascinating that everyone is, you know, under these exact same circumstances. No other competition will you have that kind of that kind of thing. You know, it's people usually stay in different hotels or, you know, have different meals. But really, the the village is everyone is working with the exact same things and everyone has to take the bus to the pool. And, you know, whether it's hot or not, if there was air conditioning or not, you're all kind of working with the same things and, and doing your best with that. Opening and closing ceremonies. What is it like marching in that and walking into the stadium? And, you know, really, the the focus of the world is on you. Yeah. So my first two Olympic Games, I didn't get to walk in opening ceremonies because I swam on on day one of the Olympics, okay. so the day after opening. And opening ceremonies, it's, <laughs> you don't really see this on TV, but it's about six hours of standing oh. and taking like baby parade steps. And you end up walking maybe like two or three miles over the six hours. Wow. So it's not really the best like circumstances for preparing yourself. Um, you know, unless athletes are competing later on over the span of the two weeks of the Olympics or, you know, I, for me, my last Olympics, I, I raced on day seven. So I got to walk in opening ceremonies. Um, but you, you really, you, you don't see all of Team USA. You won't see all 500 plus athletes there. Just, just a handful. Um, but in London, I did get to walk in opening and, um, it was incredible. You know, it was, it was amazing. And I, I'm a pretty competitive person, right? Obviously I'm an athlete and, uh, I remember we, they got us all in line. Okay. Team USA, get in line. So everyone gets in line to get ready to, to march in. And I'm the kind of person that if I'm going to run a 5k, I'm, I'm not a runner, but I'm so competitive that I will push my way to the front of the line to make sure I start out in front. And so here I am with all of Team USA getting ready to walk in. And I'm like, oh, I should push my way to the front. Wait a minute. I'm with a lot of other really competitive people. That's probably not going to fly here, Kara. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so I, I got myself a spot 
on the outside of the line. Um, you know, as I walked in, I was, I was on, I guess, stage right, <laughs> you could call it. And my family had tickets to opening ceremonies. And I remember my parents being like, yeah, try to find us in the stands. You know, we're going to be in there. I'm like, it's a stadium with a hundred thousand people. Yeah. Jesus heart. But, but cool. I'm so glad you guys can come. So we parade in and, and it was pretty magical. You know, every single athlete, it didn't matter if you were, you know, an NBA player or if the Olympics were the pinnacle of your sport, every athlete had tears in their eyes and they all had their phones out. And it was, it was this, you know, crazy cool experience for all of us. And so I'm walking in. I remember my family's from New York, so they have very thick accents. <laughs> and I remember hearing, Kara, Kara. I'm like, no way. And I turned fifth row up, my whole family wow. going nuts and just, you know, waterworks down yeah. my face. Couldn't keep it in, but it's pretty incredible experience. Um, and then closing ceremonies, I would say it's, it's more of like a, you know, handing it over to the next country. Um, but it's cool to just be able to wrap it all up with your country and you don't have to worry about standing and be on your feet for all that time. Right. You know, it's, it's all done and wrapped up and over by then, but it's, it's pretty awesome. Olympic swimmer Kara Lynn Joyce is joining me in studio. Uh, you can find her website at karalynnjoyce.com. Follow her on Twitter at karalynnjoyce. So when we saw each other, a few weeks ago at the Sports PR Summit Social Media Workshop at Twitter headquarters, we had a conversation, and it's one of the reasons I wanted to bring you back on the show, because I think we share similar views about the Olympics. And, you know, I've said on this show for a long time, while I have great respect for athletes like yourself who compete in the Olympics, I wonder, are the Olympics outdated? Because when the Olympics were started long ago... There was not international competition. Now we see international competition on a regular basis. The world has really shrunk. And, you know, it costs so much money to produce the Olympics. We see these venues that go unused after the Olympics take place. Share your thoughts on, you know, A, are the Olympics outdated? And then we can go into, I know you have a clever idea for what you would do with the venues for the Olympics so they don't have this one-time use and taxpayers are paying millions of dollars and then they're a ghost town after that. Yeah, well, first of all, I don't think the Olympics are outdated. Um, maybe the way, the structure that the IOC has for hosting the Olympic Games, but as far as what the Olympics truly stand for, you know, and I can speak on behalf of myself and my teammates and all of my peers that have been a part of this and, you know, what it really comes down to when you take away the sponsors, you take away the, the big over-the-top venues, it's these athletes pouring their heart, soul, and lives into their training to be the best that they can be. This goes back to ancient times. And it's such a beautiful thing, the pinnacle of your sport, to try to be or compete against the best in the world. And I don't think that's ever going to be outdated. However, I do feel like, you know, the way the Olympics are going at this point, and there's a lot of writing about that right now, um, a lot of media about it. Um, I, I think that the stage for what they're doing, um, I think that's becoming outdated. And I know, uh, let me see, I, in London, um, they packed up the basketball arena and they shipped it over to Rio and it's going to be reused. It's okay. the same arena. And I think that that's the start of something that, you know, could help the Olympics sustain what they, what they're going through right now. I, I was talking to somebody about this recently and, and they were like, yeah, you know, I, I learned in business school that the two most expensive things that your country can do, the first most expensive thing is to go to war. The second is to host the Olympic wow. Games. And that's sad. That's really unfortunate. And I feel like, you know, 
instead of having a new city rotating through every four years, putting this country in debt, having the venues become obsolete and run down, mm-hmm. have the Olympics in the same place for maybe three Olympic games in a row. You know, have a host city, have the games for 12 years. You can get three Olympic games And in the meantime, that's going to bring a ton of revenue to that city, to that country. You know, all of these sports are going to want to have their championship competitions in non-Olympic years at the Olympic venues. And hotels are going to do where restaurants are going to do well. You know, it's it's just going to be great for tourism. It'll be great for cities. And that's that's what I would hope for. I would hate to see, you know, three or five Olympics from now having no cities want to bid because of the cost, because of what it does you know, to the cities and, and not being able to sustain those venues. And, you know, I was, I was also talking to another friend the other day and I was like, you know, I hope someday my kids will know what the Olympics are and be able to appreciate, you know, what I spent my career doing. Um, but, you know, I, I definitely think there has to be a change. That's, that's my opinion. And, and I'm sure there's a lot of different things that we can do to, to make them more sustainable. But I definitely think something has to be done and a change needs to be made. I mean, you look at Athens, you look at Sochi, just Google those if you're listening to this and you'll see the ghost towns that they've become. And, you know, again, the millions of dollars that were spent to host those games. And, you know, you bring up a great stat that next to going to war, it's the most expensive thing that your country could do. You know, I think another solution would be if you look at like a city like London or, you know, back in 1984 when Los Angeles was the host or when Atlanta hosted in 1996, it seems like if a major city hosts the Olympics, that they tend to reuse those venues more so than, you know, a smaller city in a, in a smaller country. Um, you know, we know that uh, Qatar is, is supposed to be hosting the Olympics and, you know, we could have a whole nother conversation on, the IOC and, you know, how they award the games to certain countries. I mean, you know, there's, I'll be, I'll be interested to see if those games actually take place in that location because of the heat and, uh, because of all of the other things going on in that part of the world. We know with Brazil, you know, a lot of the golfers and other athletes have declined to go because of the Zika virus, or at least that's what they've cited. And, um, you know, there's always politics around these games. It seems like, you know, do you hear that as an athlete when you're getting ready to go, whether it's security or Zika virus or something going on? When you go to the games, do you ever have concerns about security? So um, my first games was in 2004, <clears throat> excuse me, and it was the Athens Olympics. Okay. And that was the first Summer Olympic Games since 9-11. And there were definitely concerns about security. Um, you know, even in the athlete village, they put Team USA in the far back corner, you know, far away from everyone else. We weren't allowed to hang flags from our windows. We weren't allowed to be patriotic. Even our uniforming that year was toned down hmm. um, because they were worried about security. And and I definitely remember hearing about it going into the games. But as an athlete, you're not worried about that. That's really not going to occupy your brain time. It's going to be about preparing yourself. You know, you have faith that your delegation is going to take you. It's going to be safe. And when the Olympics start, it's really all about sport. And I know, you know, leading into the Olympics, there you want to talk about the Olympics. You want to write about the Olympics. And um, there has to be some kind of a, a storyline. And right now, the storyline is Zika virus and its security in Rio. And I really feel like, you know, now that the games have started and everything's underway, 
it's about the sport and it's about, like I said, what the Olympics really are about. These athletes pouring their heart and soul mm. into their events, into their competitions. And, you know, it's, I think it happens every year. Um, and, you know, <laughs> hopefully Rio can reuse their venues and, and have some kind of, you know, learn from, from past Olympic hosts and be able to host more swim meets and more soccer games and, and, you know, reuse everything that they've built. You were on a panel at the Sports PR Summit Social Media Workshop, and one of the questions you were asked, it was, social media was the conversation, but you were asked about Rule 40. There's a lot of people listening to this show right now, they don't know what Rule 40 is. So can you explain Rule 40 and how that impacts Olympic athletes? Yeah, so Rule 40, it it came about um, before the London Olympics, so about four years ago. Um, I remember my team was sitting down and, and we had a meeting before we um, flew over to London and it was a meeting with some USOC people. At the very end of the meeting, they were like, and by the way, we have a new rule for social media. Any sponsors that are not Olympic sponsors, you cannot tweet, Instagram, Facebook. You cannot make a mass post about them until two weeks after the Olympic Games. Hmm. And this came at a time where a lot of athletes have contracts where they had already signed and said, you know, I will post, you know, X, Y, Z from the village, from the pool, wherever. So this is going against, you know, now they're they're in breach of contract. Right. And I remember the the room was kind of up in arms. And and I think the people that were hosting the meeting were a little surprised by the reaction. Um, And they have made some adjustments now. Four years later, they've made some adjustments. But it's still, you know, I think if you... If you do want to make a post or tweet or anything about a sponsor that is not an Olympic sponsor, you have to get approval like in January about what the post is going to be and then like continuously post throughout every week leading up to the Olympics. It's still. Um, so it's also very unfortunate for athletes that are trying to make an income, you know, and and. Not every athlete's going to be on the Wheaties box and going to have a PNG contract and right. going to be, you know, with Coca Cola and Visa. And you have to get other, you know, grassroots sponsors, maybe local sponsors from your hometown or just products that you use, and they they don't happen to be Olympic sponsors. So, I think it hurts not only the athlete, it also hurts the brands that are trying to support those athletes. And I think that rule <laughs> needs to go. <laughs> well, so I've heard of some athletes posting and then their sponsors paying the fine and i don't know what the fine is maybe you do but um you know i think first it makes the usoc look bad so like if the sponsor is a non-olympic sponsor and they pay the fine they're probably going to get some pr out of it or at least some social media buzz about oh yeah you know kara tweeted about this she got fined but the sponsor paid the fine to cover her um it is seemingly, you know, controlling and, and kind of outdated. I understand that they want to protect the Olympic sponsors, but this is social media we're talking about. I mean, it, it's really hard to put, you know, handcuffs on athletes and say, you can't do this on social media. And then I would think, you know, watching that and monitoring that and looking at every single athlete to go, okay, you know, are they staying within the boundaries? That would also be pretty time consuming. Yeah, not not only is it I think it's harmful for the USOC but I mean these are athletes trying to make a living, sure. trying to train to represent the USOC, to represent the United States of America at the Olympics. Why would we do anything to, you know, slow that down or make it more difficult for them? I I think it's uh it does not make sense to me. I I don't understand that. So give our listeners, I know we talked about this a little bit when you were on before, but you know, 
you're not Missy Franklin, you're not Michael Phelps, but you're a decorated Olympian. You're a decorated NCAA champion. You are trying to raise money to compete and train. Give our audience an idea of how much does that cost? How much do you need to raise? How many sponsors do you need to make your dream come to fruition? Because I wonder, Kara, how many people are worthy of competing in the Olympics, but they can't afford the training or find the sponsors to get to that moment? It's it's a difficult process and, and the balance of, you know, finding sponsors or maybe working part time, but still being able to train when you need to recover as much as you need to. Um, so the USOC and USA Swimming do provide a stipend. Um, it's It gets renewed every year. You have to requalify. And the way that works is you have to be, <clears throat> excuse me, you have to be top 12 in the world and also top six in the country. So um, in perspective, if you're seventh in the country and top 12 in the world, you don't get the stipend. Wow. Or if you're second in the country and 13th in the world, you do not get the stipend. Okay. And um, the stipend is about, I think it's between thirty and $40,000 a year. Um, so every year that they have this, it gets a little bit more challenging to qualify for it because, you know, while we are the best country in the world as far as, you know, our sport and being dominant, the rest of the world is also getting a lot faster. So in order to qualify to be top 12 and top six, it's every year it's harder and harder because the rest of the world is is catching us. And um, if you, you know, qualify, that's great. You know, $30,000, $40,000 a year sounds like a good amount of money. But when you have to eat as much as a swimmer eats and pay for your flights to go to competitions, you know, probably eight to 10 times a year, pay for your hotels, all of your travel expenses, you know, your your gear and your training and your coaching. And it it really does add up. And while it's a, a nice addition, it definitely does not cover everything. So unless you have some kind of other sponsor, um, like we talked about, and it could be anything, you know, you could get a contract from a suit company. That's the most common sponsorship that swimmers okay. can get between, you you know, Speedo, Arena, Tier, um, any any company like that. So if you can get a, a sponsorship from a suit company or, um, you know, a, a local sponsorship. Um, but a lot of athletes do end up working part-time. Um, they'll do some, like, part-time coaching for their club team or, you know, I, I know a good friend of mine works for Lululemon part-time. And then, you know, there's also just the one-offs that, you know, have a full-time job at some, you know, nine-to-five company and figure out how to train around that. Um, that being said, it's it's hard. You know, even if you're not working at all, training for the Olympics, putting everything you have into that, the, the toll it takes on your body, it is very, very difficult. So I, I marvel at people that can work and train because I was definitely not one of them. Recovery was really, really big for me. Um, and I was fortunate to have some great sponsors while I was training. Um, but that being said, you know, I'm not, while I am a, a three-time Olympian, I'm, I'm not at a point in my career now that I'm retired that I never have to work again. So it, it definitely sustained me while I was swimming and it was great for that. But, you know, it's, it's not for, it's not for life. So would you say, I mean, you know, knowing that that stipend is 30 or $40,000, you have some sponsors who hopefully kick in money. If I said, you know, a hundred thousand dollars is a number, a good ballpark for what an Olympian needs to raise in order to train and recover. And then compete. Would that be a good ballpark number? Yeah, yeah, I think that'd be a good ballpark number. That'd be on the higher end. Okay. I would probably say um, maybe around like fifty to sixty would okay. be. You could live comfortably. You could, you know, support yourself. You're not supporting a family though. You're right. supporting yourself. 
um, and you're able to train and, and, you know, get all the things done that you need to do. As the Olympics are underway, what are some of the storylines that you are uh, keeping your eyes on? Oh, man, there's so many. I'm such a swim nerd <laughs> and <laughs> Olympics geek. Um, I don't know. I, I think um, Maya Dorado, she's, uh, she dominated Olympic trials, won three events. This is her first Olympic Games, and, and she says it's going to be her last. So I think it'll be kind of cool to see this, you know, flash in the pan, see what she can do, very little pressure on her. And then, you know, my girl Missy, right. Missy Franklin, she has three events as well, 200 freestyle, 200 back, and then a relay, a much lighter schedule. You know, she had seven events in London, now three events in Rio. And I was talking to her parents, and I was like, I actually think this is a blessing in disguise. <laughs> I know seven events is a huge accomplishment. She's the first person ever to do that, but it's a lot of swimming and, and I think she'll be able to do really, really well, you know, get the recovery that she needs and, and stay focused for those three. So obviously I got my eye on her. And then, you know, there's the relays. I was a part of many, many Olympic relays and the rest of the country is very, or the, sorry, the rest of the world is very good right now between, um, you know, Australia, the Netherlands. Um, so USA is going to have their work cut out for them, especially with this team full of rookies. We have so many rookies, so many first timers. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to kind of watch all of that, see how it unfolds. And then Michael Phelps, uh, and then Michael Phelps, you know, this is his last Olympics. <laughs> yeah. He's the most decorated Olympian ever. You know, sometimes you wonder, like, should he have just ridden off into the sunset and, you know, retired <laughs> not. on I, a high note? Or do you come back for, for one more? He looks like he's in great shape. Yeah. You know, I think it's riding off into the sunset. If your body can't take it anymore and right. you don't have the desire, then go ahead and do it. But Michael clearly has the desire and he is still the best in the world. You know, I think Michael's going to win a, a few more gold medals. He's got, I think, 18 gold and what, 22 overall. Mm -hmm. So four not gold. But I think he's still going to bring home a, a couple gold medals. And I, I kind of think this will be his last Olympic Games He's in a different place in life now than he was probably for any of his other games. You know, he's got a, just more at peace. His fiance, his son, Boomer, um, he just seems a lot happier. He's team captain. Michael has never been a team captain uh, on the years and years wow. that he's been on Team USA. And I think that just shows how much, you know, he has matured over the last several years and, and the different place and the different person that he is now. Other than swimming, what are some of the other uh, competitions that you'll have your eyes on? Oh, gymnastics. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm just I like everyone a 10-year-old girl. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, gymnastics, track and field, um, beach volleyball. It's, it's really all good to me. You know, as an athlete, when the Olympics are done for swimming, we still have a week left that we get to go and, and watch other events. And the way it works is it's a lottery that you sign up for every night in the village and you have to wait to see if you can get tickets. Oh. And the way, like, we, we don't care what we get tickets to. We just want to go cheer for Team USA. Sure. We just want to go see other sports. So I had the opportunity to watch a handful of other sports, um, for, you know, the last couple Olympics and it's, it's incredible whether it's, you know, beach volleyball or handball or basketball or track. It's, you know, go USA. That's awesome. So, how odd is it for you to be watching from the outside? <laughs> I mean, you've been in the last three Olympics and, and now, you know, you're not competing. Do you feel like, oh, I want to get out there and compete again? Or are you <laughs> like, you know what? I'm, I'm happy. I did my thing and, and I'll just, uh, I'll watch like everyone else. Yeah. Well, so we, we just had Olympic trials. They wrapped up about three weeks ago in Omaha, Nebraska. And that was my, gosh, fifth. Olympic trials that I've been to. Mm -hmm. 
I competed in four. So this is my fifth one. And I was on the other side. You know, I did a lot of stuff with media. And my events fall in the second half of the eight days. So the women's 100 freestyle and then the women's 50 freestyle. And the 100 free came first. I remember sitting and watched the 100 free. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, nice. Like these girls went fast. I have no desire to be in this race. They, (laughs) you know, blew away my best times. This is going to be a great relay that we're sending. I feel great about this. You know, I I felt fine because I was, you know, how how am I going to be able to react to this? Right. And then on the very last day of the meet, it's the women's 50 free. And I've qualified in the 50 free for the last three Olympic Games. I'm the only American woman ever to swim the 50 free three times. Wow. And, um, you know, I, I watched the race go and the women swam fast. Um, Simone Manuel, Abby Weitzel, uh, Madison Kennedy in third, all these girls, you know, definitely blew away my time again from four years ago. And, and I didn't have a desire to be in the race. You know, I, I definitely don't want to be swimming, but I, I got welled up. I started, you know, tearing up hmm. and it was more like this feeling of closure that I didn't even know I needed. Yeah. But for the first time since the year 2000, Team USA is going to the Olympics and somebody's going to swim the 50 free and it's not me. Yeah. Um, so just kind of that realization and it really is, you know, changing of the guard and, and I'm super excited to watch and cheer for these girls, but by no means. <laughs> I wish I was competing. I'm, I'm very happy with having retired when I did. So in retirement and, you know, we know that you've done some TV work, like you just said. What's next for you before we uh, wrap up this conversation? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm still kind of working, um, you know, on getting more stuff within broadcasting. Um, it's definitely something that I'm passionate about. Our, our film, Touch the Wall, uh, Missy Franklin and I had a film, Touch the Wall, and it just came out on special edition last week. So that's really exciting and continuing to promote that. It was also on the own network, Oprah featured. Nice. Movie. I don't even get cable, but I, you know, I got tweeted. Get some royalties for that. <laughs> oh, not yet. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's a documentary and, and the two guys that made it did such a great job. And I'm, I'm super happy with how it's taken off and, and the impact that it's had on, on the swimming community. But, you know, it's, it's still for me just staying involved in swimming, giving back. Um, I've been able to align some sponsors with athletes. That's something that is near and dear to my heart, you know, trying to get athletes the funding that they need and, and the visibility that they need. So, um, you know, just, just trying to figure it out day by day, but, um, it's, it's all fun. It's a big learning experience. Well, we saw the documentary Touch the Wall. You were kind enough to present my daughter at the <laughs> event at Twitter with a signed copy. She's in here right now. Uh, so thank you so much for, for that. Thank you for coming to the Sports PR Summit Social Media Workshop at Twitter. I thought that was a, a great event. I learned a lot about social media that day. Um, you can stay in touch with Kara at her website, carolynjoyce.com, and also on Twitter at carolynjoyce. You're on Snapchat, as I discovered <laughs> with my daughter uh, during this conversation. You've been doing some Snapchat. What else are you on? Instagram, Instagram right? Instagram, yeah. You can find me on all the social media. I don't have Periscope, but um, yeah, I had your daughter getting uh, some good Snapchat filters <laughs> on us. <laughs> I'm afraid to see what those may be. <laughs> no, it's all in good fun, though. But yeah, you know, a lot of a lot of swimmers I stay in touch with via social media and um, in I stay busy. You know, I'm actually I'm attending a swim meet here in Portland tonight um, to to hand out some awards for swimmers, sign some autographs. So it's a good way for me to keep in touch with that community. Well, it's always nice to get to see you in person. Thanks for being at the event at Twitter. We saw you at the event in New York, the Sports PR Summit, and 
it was nice when we uh, connected here for this conversation in person in Portland. Carolyn Joyce, again, you can find her on uh, line at carolynjoyce.com and on Twitter at Carolyn Joyce. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Podcast this show and any other past SBR episode at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back with more SBR powered by Sprinkler after this. Hello, everyone. Mark King here, president of Adidas Group North America. One of the most inspiring parts of my job is the conversations I have every day with extraordinary people who are shaping the sports landscape. I talk to athletes, league executives, athletic directors, and agents, and now I'm bringing these conversations to you through my new podcast series, Extraordinary Happens, Competing in Sports, Business, and Life. This series dives deeper into what inspires the people who are leading change in sport, both on and off the field. I want to know what makes them tick and uncover how they're challenging convention to make extraordinary things happen for their teams, their businesses, and themselves. And I want to share those stories and insights with you. Tune in to my bi-weekly episodes of Extraordinary Happens on iTunes and Stitcher. And remember, get out there, challenge each other, lead change, and make extraordinary happen. This is Sports Business Radio. We are back to wrap up this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks to our guest, Kara Lynn Joyce. Some really interesting food for thought around the Olympics and the future of the Olympics, the venues, the Olympics themselves. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens going forward. But it was great to have a debate and to chat with Kara Lynn Joyce. Make sure to follow her on Twitter at Kara Lynn Joyce. You can find her online at com. Griggs, I'm headed to my annual trip to Maui. I'm playing Kapalua's Plantation Course, where they play a PGA Tour event, the Champions event. Uh, I'm very excited. It's probably my favorite golf course. And I play with my daughter, who is almost 12. She loves golf. And it is a memorable day for the two of us. So we're going to kind of review and recap our trip to Kapalua Plantation Course on the next edition of Sports Business Radio. But uh, I love Maui. Well, you can't go wrong there. And by the way, your daughter has a great swing, so you better watch out. She's, she's, You know what? I would love for her to beat me. (laughs) I would love for her to beat me. It's getting close. She's good. I mean, it's a funny story. Last year we were there and we played the Kapalua Bay Course, which is the one along the ocean. Mm -hmm. We're playing the Plantation Course this year, which is up the mountain a little bit, but where they play the PGA Tour event. So there's a par three on the bay course, and you've got to hit it over the ocean. Nice. And she says, Daddy, you know, I'm going to do this. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> and, and look, like, I love my daughter, but, you know, I go into the bag, and I, I get out the, the grungy ball that, like, if you hit it into the water, you're right. not going to care that right. it went into the water. <laughs> and lo and behold, she hits it onto the green. Nice. Hits it over the ocean, onto the green. See? <laughs> she was so excited, but she wasn't nearly as excited as I was. I, I actually ended up birdieing that hole. Yeah. I was more excited about her hitting it onto the green over the ocean than I was about my birdie. And if you see me play golf, <laughs> birdies are rare in my game. Pars are rare in my game. So a birdie was like, you know, I drained like a, a 45, it. 50 foot putt, which yeah. had no business going in, but, but did. <laughs> so yeah, we have lots of stories, uh, when we play golf at, at Kapalua, but it really is, is one of my favorite courses in the world and the views are amazing. And, uh, 
you know, I'll see some friends over there. So looking forward to that trip with my daughter. But when we get back, we'll have some good editions of Sports Business Radio coming up. And Griggs football is right around the corner. So Can't believe it. You know, we'll have to focus on on some football and yep. have some good guests on. But uh, again, if you missed our show last week, tennis icon Chris Everett was on. And if you didn't hear that interview yet, I would uh, advise you to go back and listen to that interview. Really interesting stuff from Chris Everett, tennis icon. Not only about her career, the marketing around her career, but the state of tennis. And specifically the state of tennis in the United States. Really good conversation. So I would say go to sportsbusinessradio.com. I would go to iTunes, type in Sports Business Radio. You can get all of our podcasts there. We are also on TuneIn Radio and the Stitcher app. So it's a good way to get our show. We want to thank our friends at Pastano by Sprinkler for powering Sports Business Radio. You can follow them online at Pastano.com or on Twitter at Pastano. Thanks to our friends at Boingo Wireless for powering our Sports Business Radio Roadshow. Follow them online at Boingo.com or on Twitter at Boingo. You can follow me on Twitter, at SB Radio. Our Twitter feed was named to the top 50 sports business must-follows on Twitter by Forbes.com for 2015. And I'm just back from San Francisco, Griggs. I went and met with uh, one of my partners there, Rick Buecher, with Bleacher Report and XM Sirius Radio. And I uh, met with some people from our event, the Sports PR Summit Social Media Workshop, which took place at Twitter on July 20th. So uh, it was good. San Francisco is a, a great city. God, I had some amazing food there. I ate at a sushi place called Akiko's. If you're ever in San Francisco, go have great sushi at Akiko's. And then I went with Buker uh, and his wife and my girlfriend to the Slanted Door, which has been mm. on the Food Network. And holy cow, that may be in my top five best dinners of all time. What, what kind of food at the Slanted Door? Everything. Everything. I mean, we had... Pork belly, we had scallops, we had nice. uh, steak, we had, I mean, just <laughs> it, 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 it all. bok choy with mushrooms, <laughs> nice. incredible desserts. They just keep bringing you the food okay, in, in waves. It. It's called prefix. So, okay, you know, yeah. it, it's, you know, it's, it's shareable sure, yeah. meals, but uh, really good conversation and a lot of fun and some great food. Nice. So, uh, it was uh, good to be in San Francisco. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. We'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bowl Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, glad to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio.